Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Hi, I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's largest mortgage lender. Spring will be here soon, so if buying a new home is on your to-do list, right now is the time to call Quicken Loans. Learn about which mortgage options make sense for you and get a jump on your competition. With our exclusive Rate Shield approval, the low rate you lock today is protected for up to 90 days while you shop for your new home. With a Rate Shield approval, if rates go up, your low rate stays locked. But if rates go down, you get that new, even lower rate. Either way, you win. Talk to us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com to take advantage. Here's another great reason to work with us. For a record nine years in a row, J.D. Power has ranked Quicken Loans highest in the nation in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination. Again, to lock in today's low mortgage interest rate and get the security of our exclusive rate shield approval, call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. For J.D. Power award information, visit jdpower.com. Rate shield approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, over-designed, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5000. Enjoy! Tune in every two weeks for Disasters in the Making, where a couple of bent mind entertainment writers expound on their absolute passion and love for bad cinema and bad Hollywood. Joining us each week with Paul Young from Screen Rent and Brad Slager from numerous entertainment outlets, they get together and tear into the worst part of Hollywood in the best way possible. Join every two weeks on Disasters in the Making. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com.
welcome to another bleepin' podcast. Yes, we're the podcast that rock and rolls every day and parties every night. I am your co-host, Cranky Gordon. Tonight, I do not have a podcast. I am without favorites. It's my understanding that um, they're all hungover from CPAC. Now, the truth of the matter is um, I have a very special guest for a special topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I'll get to that in a second. Let me start with a really boring story. Um, when I grew up, I uh, discovered rock and roll around 1982. My sister brought home a cassette tape of uh, Van Halen's uh, Everybody Wants Some. And with the headphones on, I had heard nothing like that. It was primal. It was jungle music. I was I was pretty much hooked. Anyway, so I listened to the music faithfully, and I love music as you all know, because I often tweet about it. But um, fast forward to about 1990, um, all of a sudden my favorite Bay Area rock station, KOME and KSJO, all the great rock stations, changed slightly, but I didn't notice it. Um, And it was during the triple shot weekend when I was driving through that I noticed they played three songs from Boston. And then the next week when I was driving through the Bay Area, a triple shot of Boston, same three songs. And it was then that um, the music that I loved started getting a little bit gross, uh, you know, burned out. And I still didn't figure out that classic rock is different from rock. Classic rock is now, it seems to be like as a, uh, about 250 songs on a rotation. So fast forward again, another, oh my gosh, 40 years um, on Twitter, um, get found by this one account called DC Rock Radio. And I tune it in. It's rock, uh, streaming rock. And it was, oh my gosh, it was like an itch being scratched that I didn't know I had. Um, all of a sudden I'm hearing songs that I haven't heard since they were in the rotation in 1983. And it all comes back to me. It's like, oh my gosh, I do remember that artist. And I loved this song. What happened to it? Well, I found it all, and um, being the geek that I am, I reached out to the station owner, and I'm really, really pleased to have him on tonight to talk about DC Rock and all the cool things about rock and some of the things that suck about rock. So please <laughs> let me introduce my guest and friend, Dave Collins, who has a voice for radio. You're really going to appreciate this. Say hello, and, Dave. And a face for radio, too. Thank you. And, no, and, <laughs> and spoiler alert, uh, Gordon, I don't think you're that cranky. Well, it's branding, okay? And I, I do get pissed <laughs> off reading certain websites to the point where I should be disconnected. But thank you for that. Now, that being said, I I was listening to your intro. I don't care if I ever hear more than a feeling ever again. Exactly, right? It was a great song the first 5,700 times, right? It's their it's their best song, and it's a damn shame what corporate radio has done to rock. Yes. In fact, you know, when I first discovered you, I went over to your reps, website, and you, you just really sum it up. You, you say that they, they use these consultants, and they may have as little as 250 songs, and they really don't even ask the listeners what they want to hear. Right. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, you know, I worked – in the 90s, dating myself, the coolest station I ever worked for was the rock station, uh, TK101, if anybody knows where that is, in Pensacola, Florida. And then the nasty 
corporate entities um, decided to come in and consolidate things. That's when it all started, basically, was in the late 90s, and ended up at this little station that was basically, just like you said, playing 250 songs over and over again, and it was very depressing. Right. How long did it take you? Well, you were always in the business, but, I mean, it slowly dawned on me, you know, you can't hear Levon from Elton John one more time. And then you remember that he used to have other songs, too. Right. So tell me about your background. I mean, we talked a little bit of this in the green room, and you seem to have a fascinating background in music. Well, I appreciate that. And it's probably because I I grew up with a musical family, although, well, my dad was a um, minister of education. A, a, and I, he wasn't a preacher, but he was a minister of education. So we moved around a lot. I was born in Jacksonville, Florida, if anybody knows where that is. And... Um, um, well, they tell me I was born there, but I really don't remember. And old Three Dog Night song. So, so when I was, I guess I was about two years old. Um, I was a kid, and um, I went through different phases of what I wanted to be, just like most kids do. And it almost goes like week to week with kids. Well, with me, some of it was related to to other things. Uh, some of it was related to similar things. My uh, um, earliest recollection was when I was about three or four, probably I wanted to be a, a garbage man. I was fascinated by the garbage men and the big garbage, <laughs> the big garbage trucks. I would go out there. I got so excited, uh, when they'd finally get to our house, I'd go out there and stand right next to the truck. And they were, this is back before automation. Of course, there was two guys that would hop off the truck and the, uh, good morning. How are you doing? And, uh, I'd, I'd watch them do their things. And it was, um, it was, it just fascinated me. Well, we had these three, I don't know if you're old enough to remember, we had these three big metal cans before they were plastic. And my dad would keep these cans upside down in the backyard. And somehow that became my drum set. <laughs> I, I still have a picture of that somewhere. They actually um, finally got me a, a, a kid's drum set a few years ago. And back then, uh, or a few years later, um, back then they they didn't have these professional kits for kids they were paper heads so like you'd play them for like a week or more and then you'd bust the paper and then you'd have to like tape them up with scotch tape so I, I went through several uh drum kits probably <laughs> over the over the course of the christmases and i still play drums uh when i have the time um and i got really good at it because i started so early but i um music was not forced on me being from a musical family, but it was definitely instilled on me at an early age. The two main groups that I remember were the Doors and the Monkees. <laughs> and, and Mickey Dolans was like my hero. He was my first Neil Peart, because I, I know we're both R big Rush fans. Um, and I still love the Monkees, too. So I had all their records. But the Doors also have a significant part in my early radio career. Uh, we lived in Tampa by then, and uh, the big, huge AM station in those days was WLCY. It was iconic. It was like the stations up in Detroit, but it was the Florida version. So one day my mom calls up to make a request on my behalf, and it was for the doors like my fire, right? Um, well, they let me listen in on an extension phone, and it was like this, WLCY. And so they're recording. It's not live. Can you play Light My Fire? Oh, I'm sorry, we just played that. And I start bawling into the other phone. My mom's like, get him off the phone, get him <laughs> off the phone. So the DJ plays that back. 
and we heard it on the radio, and it was it was phenomenal. I'm like, that's me crying, man. But but something clicked. I I went from wanting to be a garbage man, um, a spaceman, um, a weatherman, um, to being a DJ, and it, it stuck. My my parents thought you know it would just be a passing phase, but I would I would start talking with. You know, with the record player in my room, uh, uh, mimicking the guys that I heard on the radio, talking up the intros to a song because I heard him doing it. And I got really good at nailing the intro, as, as they call it, um, you know, kind of on a subconscious level with, with the beat right up to the vocal. Um, and and that's a that's a pretty hard thing to do, believe it or not. So so uh, so when I was, I guess, about eight, my parents got me this record player with a microphone that ran through it. And uh, my ingenious older brother, a while later, uh, ran a wire out of it. He ran a wire under the carpet down the hall and into our uh, console stereo in the living room. And I, I just thought that was phenomenal. I'm broadcasting in the living room, and it sounded really good. So th- that, and he didn't realize this, I'm sure, at the time, but that kind of propelled things. Um, the next Christmas, my folks got me a Graymark AM transmitter kit, and my dad helped me put it together solder it together i say i say help he probably did all the work i was afraid i was going to mess it up and i probably would have but um this little gray mark uh transmitted about 50 feet and maybe a little bit more if you put a wire on it so all of a sudden i was uh i was transmitting to to where the next door neighbor could hear it which was just phenomenal (laughs) as a kid and uh you know i'd go over and they'd have it on their radio you know and i just thought that was incredible but um we ended up moving a few years later when i was 15 cuz like i said my dad was a a minister of education not a preacher but he took care of sunday schools and church outreach and stuff like that so we moved around a bit um so i was definitely a loner i was i was a much younger kid than um uh, my my older brother and sisters so i was um you know, didn't have many friends, but I met this kid when I was 13 that was an electronic genius um, in this town we moved into outside of Tampa called Brandon. And he built me – remember the old TVs where you had to get up and change the dial, change the channel, and it clicked real loud? Yeah, well, yeah, the Quick. kids might not know that, but I believe those were called, uh, what, CRT tube TVs? Yeah, they were. Well, yeah, they were big vacuum tubes. That's right. Um, but it had a it had a lot of hardware and they were really heavy. Well, he took that knob out of the TV that you had to change channels with. Come to find out, there's tuned coils of wire inside on little strips, and some of those frequencies that are used by the television stations or were back then are at the high end of the FM frequency. So, um, so with that band of wire wrapped around plastic, he took that out. He reversed the circuit along with a transformer, a large capacitor, and a tube, and voila, an FM transmitter that broadcasted about a half mile. Uh, highly, <laughs> not, highly not legal, like illegal. But um, and this was about 1976. Um, I, I actually still have it in the uh, closet. I'll dig it out about every five years just just to make sure it's still working. Um, <laughs> You know, make sure the circuits are still good. Um, so the pirate station went on for several years. And then one night at church, uh, a friend goes, hey, I just got invited into this junior achievement program at this local radio station. And 
I think you need to come out with me, man. It's just like me and a couple other people. Um, so I went with him the next week, and I was in. We recorded. We'd record a one-hour show that ran every week. It was an AM station that was daytime only, but it was 50,000 watts, which is really rare for most AM stations. It's a powerhouse, coast-to-coast from uh, Clearwater to Cocoa Beach was their uh, slogan. <laughs> so they were off the air at night, so we'd record a, a one-hour show. And uh, about a month later, they went, we're just going to let you guys go live every Saturday afternoon. So we did that for, like, the rest of the school year. And then at the end of the school year, they go, hey, um, if you um, take your FCC t- test, because back then you had to, to have an FCC license, you had to um, pass a test to – do different math equations, and math was always my worst subject. So there were a couple of formulas you had to know to, um, in case one meter went out, that you could still do a power reading with two other meters, so stuff like that. The first time I took it, I flunked, but they said, um, and that was before I got the job offer. I was 15 years old, and they said, if you'll pass your FCC test and get your license, we'll give you a job on the weekends. So it gave me a little more motivation to study harder, and I passed it. With flying colors, or maybe just barely, and um, <laughs> I got my license and I got my first uh, radio job when I was 15 years old, wow. and so um, that went on probably for about a year uh, until we had to move. But what I was going to say about a month later, I had a girl that was about two years older than me. She was in high school. I was in junior high. She was a friend of the family's, but this girl was smoking hot. I had a deep crush on her, but she never wanted to go there. But anyway, she thought it would be a good idea to call up the Tampa Tribune and go, hey, I think there's this kid that you need to uh, to do a story on. So he called me up. Um, this guy had such a long name, I can't remember. It's like a crazy long name, but I, have a, um, I still have the article um, in a photo album here super nice guy he took me out to dinner he said what's your favorite place to eat not western sizzler or whatever so we went out <laughs> and over a steak dinner um he interviewed me for about an hour and then the next day i met his photographer out at the station and whoever was on the air kind of uh went off to one side and he took a picture of me with you know behind the mic with headphones and then they ran a a, a story of me in the tampa tribune um a couple of weeks later um now, that being said, they mentioned my pirate radio station at the time, which had been shut down. I wasn't doing that anymore after I got my real job because I didn't need to. But um, lo and behold, I think I was at school or at a friend's house. I got home, and this friend of the family that uh, that lived with us, um, that had been with us for a while, he goes, Hey, um, <laughs> while you were gone, um, somebody knocked on the door, and I opened it up, and it was the uh, the FCC. And he he goes, this guy was, like, super nice and everything, Federal Communications Commission, for anybody that doesn't know what that stands for, uh, like the uh, the radio police. And uh, he said this guy was, like, super nice. He didn't want to come in or anything. He just – he said, hey, I saw the article and just wanted to make sure the radio station uh, was shut down. He goes, oh, yeah, it hasn't been running for quite some time. And he said, said, oh, okay, well, tell him I said hello and congratulations and see you later. That's amazing. I mean, kids, this is this is before podcasting. Um, <laughs> this is remarkable, man. I mean, on one hand, I've never seen somebody with their uh, like I don't know their calling, their destiny so clearly laid out for it, and it's just great. And of course, you dodged a bullet there with the FCC. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I'm sorry to interrupt. Continue, please. I uh, well, I'm I'm just I, I'm kind of taken back because I'm I'm very humbled by that. Um, I just and, and you're right, and I don't know how I was so blessed and so fortunate to just have that that whole path laid out for me uh, when we were talking, as you as you so eloquent eloquently put it uh in the green room we talked uh for several hours this afternoon when we were setting up the uh the interview for tonight on both ends and uh i think i told you the story about um um when things were you know my radio career i i won't kid you it was very chaotic and i was i was warned when i was still hanging out in junior high before i had my uh you know my big fm pirate station a couple of the guys at different local stations uh, when we were living in uh, Panama City, Florida. Um, this one program director in particular um, basically took me under his arm, and he, uh, um, you know, I ended up probably talking to him on the phone or whatever. Uh, WDLP 590 AM at the time. It's not there anymore. Don't even bother Googling for it. <laughs> and um, he basically, and this was which was just incredible growth for me. He gave me an open door invitation. This is when I had the little AM station that went 50 feet. Um, he gave me free reign of the production room. Anytime I wanted to come in to record anything at night or on the weekend. Um, and sometimes my mom would drop me off. Sometimes I'd ride. This is back when, um, you know, we we do things that people say, how did you survive back then? Um, <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd go to a friend's house on my bike at, you know, 10 or 11 o'clock at night, and we'd ride our bikes, uh, you know, three or four miles out to the radio station in pitch black, God forbid. And um, I think we probably got stopped by the cops one night because I had a suitcase because I was going to spend the night at his house. They thought we were runaways, right? What are you kids doing? I said, oh, we're going to the radio station to – to record some promos and, you know, here's my records and stuff. And they're like, you know, I can't imagine what's run through these cops' minds. They're like, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going, God, that, that kid was kind of weird. But um, so we'd show up and I wish to hell I had pictures of this place because it was a full-blown production room with all the bells and whistles. I miss big consoles with big knobs because the, all the knobs were really big back then. Uh, they weren't slide pots. They had those, but they weren't common because uh, everybody wanted, you know, stuff that you could grab because back in the live days, your hands were really busy and, and half of it was kind of by reflex. You were because back then, um, one of the credos was you will run the tightest board in the world. So in those days, I learned how to be really tight really fast. Um, so this guy basically let me loose to my mom's amazement. He said, I, I can't believe he's just letting you loose in this place. So I'd go in a uh, big, big ass, uh, production board, um, two or three reel to reels that were on these stands. I have one of these stands now in here with a, a, a little PV board on it. Um, that doesn't get used much, but um, every all the reel to reels used to be on these stands with wheels. There'd be two or three of them in this production room. Uh, uh, cart machines for anybody that doesn't know what that is. It looks like an eight track. If everybody doesn't know what that is, it's a <laughs> cartridge. It's a cartridge with a uh, quarter inch wide 
tape that loops, and that's what all the commercials and sometimes the music used to be on. Um, yes, so like a really big MP3 player. That's right. Um, so so these carts, um, you could record on them, and that's what all the commercials would be on. You would put it over a electric magnet to erase it, and it would buzz, bzzz, and then you put it in the deck. You hit record, and then when you hit the start button, it would put a little tone on a separate track that only the machine would hear, and when it looped back around, it would stop, and that's how the commercials basically started right then when you um, would hit them you know, for real in the control room or whatever. So I had all this equipment at my disposal, so to speak, and I would put together little promos for my – um, pirate radio station at home that, that went 50 feet, but it was a huge growing experience for me. I found this guy on the internet about 10 years ago. We hadn't spoken in 30 years. Um, he's still a consultant. He has his own software that he runs now, and he's granted older than me. And uh, I emailed him and told him basically that story, thinking he'd go, Man, what you been up to? It's great to hear from you. He didn't remember any of it. He said, he's, and my heart was broken. He said, That's, that was a long time ago, man. I'm, I'm sorry. So, um, but his name is Steve Warner, if anybody wants to Google him and his, uh, his software and his consulting firm. But uh, in any event, I was told way back then, don't get in the radio business because it's extremely unstable. Well, it was, it was all owned by these little mom-and-pop companies or small corporations if there were 12 radio stations in a town, there were 12 companies to work for. And they would fire you at a moment's notice. Not that they would, but they could, and, and they often did for one reason or another. So depending on where you lived, unless, like a lot of radio guys that climbed that ladder that everybody desired, if if your home life didn't mean much and you were willing to pull up the roots, so to speak, um, you could do that. But a lot of us just kind of went around from one station to another in, uh, in certain, in certain uh, areas. Um, in the South Tampa market, uh, there were, at the time, uh, say uh, early to mid-'80s, they were all, for the most part, AM stations. So, um, so but there were still, you know, a dozen places to work at. Well, maybe not there. There was a little less. But the point being is now, fast forward 30 years, there's not 12 companies to work for. In the particular uh, place that I'm in uh, right now as we talk, um, there's two places to work for, Cumulus and Clear Channel. Now, the catch is they come into these markets and buy up all these stations, which they're allowed to now. Deregulation, I believe, was signed by uh, Ronald Reagan um, when he was in office, um, and the, I hate to use this term, but the shit didn't hit the fan until about um, 10 years later, like in the late 90s, things started happening that was turning heads. Um, Cumulus and Clear Channel weren't even very well known back then. Clear Channel became iHeart, who, of course, is a behemoth, and uh, Cumulus probably is right up there with them now. So that being said, they like to syndicate everything because they don't want the overhead to pay employees. So if you're lucky to be in, in one of these markets where 
there's still places to work, you probably don't realize that um, that the uh, the media markets have become somewhat um, repetitive and a carbon copy of yes. of each other. They want all their stations to sound the same. They have consultants that consult dozens of stations, uh, dozens of different formats, and they all pretty much um, just want to be a brand. They want to be Coca-Cola or or, or Pepsi or, or Burger King or whatever um, to where, uh, uh, you know, when you travel from one city to the next city, six or eight or ten hours away that it you know, you're listening to the same morning show. They syndicate as much as they can. So usually at most of these stations where they've taken over, there's there's all these nice studios, but there's nobody in them. That's a real crime and a shame. But you know what? It's funny. Our conversation, this has really explained to me why Classic Rock is so um, soulless. And, uh, yeah, I mean – Thank you for for peeling the curtain back and letting us see the the ugly digital reel to reel tapes. Um, but <laughs> let's fast forward if we can, Dave. Uh, okay. Let's talk about DC Rock and how did that happen? You mean how did it happen? Like in my mind? Well, I mean, the, you can share how it came into existence, but really, what I want is two things, Dave. I want people to know what exists. And I want my friends here listening to listen to you. Well, let's see. I'll I'll, I'll go Thursday to the, nights at nine thirty. That's us. I, I'll go to the very beginning and and try to be very brief. I um when I was in this little shithole station, um, this is when everybody was on dial up. Remember dial up? Oh my gosh! <laughs> yes. Well, well, well um, my wife's dad had a a, a um a spare computer that he thought we needed. It was a, uh, I don't know if you'll remember this, but it, it was a 386. <laughs> First computer. Yep. And then we went to a 486. And wow, we're really flying now. So this is back in the AOL days. And so we got on the internet. I think actually we didn't even, we weren't even on the internet because my life's, my wife's like, well, we don't, we don't need that. So, um, so I ended up making pictures in paint shop and stuff, and I got really good at making pictures, little dots in in the paint shop. Do you know what paint shop is? It's oh like a dude, it's I like the basic shop. it's like the basic basic program. It's not even it's Photoshop is light years away from paint shop. Um, you could draw with a mouse, or if you zoomed in, you could make really tiny little dots into a picture. So I so I ended up making these copying from a book like pictures of the space shuttle and a Saturn V and stuff like that. But we ended up getting on the Internet, and for whatever reason, a friend of mine that I was working with at the time at this little shithole station, he was like real light years computer-oriented for me. And um, he said um, – I was showing him some pictures one day out of my photo album. He said, you should scan those and, and make a little website. I don't know how to make a website. Oh, no, no, it's real easy. So um, I ended up teaching myself HTML. And at the time, you could make a free GeoCities website. <laughs> yes. So I made so I made GeoCities.com Dave Collins World. <laughs> and I generated my own. Uh, there was a website where you could generate a really cool logo and stuff. And I went, well, I don't know what to put it on here, so I'll put some pictures on here and stuff. So it was uh, – 
uh, whatever the call is for uh, an HTML for putting a picture up. And um, so then uh, fast forward a few years later when I got a better job, um, I would be I, I became the webmaster of a um, basically a trivia chat room. Uh, we would do trivia games at night, and I was the webmaster. I they already had a website, but I I got them on the search engines because there was no way to find them, and I I became very aff- in, affluent in uh, search engine optimization, as they call it. And um, um, I was just looking for my website for different kinds of uh, radio related things to put up, you know, hyperlinks to different, you know, stuff. And uh, I found this this platform. I didn't even know the word platform back then uh, for a, a website called Live 365. Um, and they had a banner. They had a banner exchange, actually. So I took some banners. Uh, do you have a do you have a face for radio? was one of their banners. And uh, so I put that up on and a link to their site or whatever. And so um, one night I was showing, this is in about 2006 at this point, like five years later. And uh, before the trivia game, uh, somebody said, um, do you have a station on Live 365? And I said, oh, no, no, because I sh- had shown them my website. No, no, it was just a radio thing that I put up. And they said, oh, well, you should look at that. And I said, I, I did, and it's like $500 a year to, to have a radio station. They went, oh, oh, yeah. And so about a week later, some light bulb goes, well, you and your wife both have jobs. It's only $500 a year. And so I went, maybe I should go back and look at that again. So um, so long story short, I ended up paying, you know, slamming down $500 bucks, um, because – Ultimately, and people don't know this, maybe some people do, but um, there are rules and laws and royalties that have to be paid for Internet radio. And they are very strict laws that um, now are overseen by an entity called Sound Exchange. And under them are BMI and ASCAP and uh, Smothers. Um, uh, There's uh, an entity in Canada, I think, that, that falls under uh, sound exchange. So in any event, um, that's why they were charging because they were having to pay royalties. And um, they also, to supplement their income, they would run commercials um, in between your songs. Now, that's if you uploaded all your songs to their server. Well, I looked into a program because I didn't want it to be like an iPod where it just went one song, one song, one song. If I'm going to have a station, I want it to sound live like a radio station. So I ended up buying this uh, other program called Sam Broadcaster that uh, has basically this little plug-in called an encoder. If you're going to stream, you have to have an encoder. And so I, they had the option on Live 365 to do a live broadcast. At that point, you weren't playing their commercials, so you were just streaming 24 hours a day. So um, so that's how it started in 2006. And about a year or so later, they sent out certain stations that were, I guess, promising uh, an invitation to join their co-ops. A co-op would be Anywhere from several stations to, I believe, 10 stations was uh, what they worked up to. And you were basically operating under one license. Um, 
There was no listener limit at that point, and they would also get you on iTunes. And uh, since you were operating on under one license with multiple stations, they broke down the math or the pie chart to where you were only paying a hundred dollars a year. So wow. we so we operated under um, under a license, and all of a sudden, I had way more listeners uh, once that we were on iTunes, and the station just literally exploded. Uh, the way they gauge the listeners. Um, as, as far as ratings and royalties, we have to turn in a report once a month and, uh, and, and live 365 was a long time ago. They went away and I think 20, I want to say 2015, they shut down. And the reason these platforms became less and less, uh, available is because the royalties keep going up and up. And, um, there was, if you wanted to go it on your own, there was a company until just a few years ago that was called Licensing Something or Other. Uh, they shut down when the last royalty increase uh, kicked in. There's a board of three royalty judges that um, hear, I guess, I guess, different cases, and they uh, they approve the uh, the next royalties for the next three or four years or whatever it is until, until the next hearing. Yeah, it it really is. So we have to uh, we definitely have to abide by a certain um, I don't want to get too too technical, but uh, there's there's certain rules that we have to abide by to where we're not playing all rush all the time. Um, We can only play a certain artist in a certain number of hours and that that kind of thing. Uh, You can't play a request within one hour or, or less than one hour. Um, so, so we have to be very careful, uh, because like I said, there's a report that we have to turn in once a month that goes to our group leader. The platform that I'm on now is called Outpost Radio Network. Um, turns out this guy that owns Outpost Radio used to own radio stations, uh, up north. The exact place escapes me at the moment. But he was actually our group leader, our co-op leader, back in the uh, Live 365 days. Now, the platform we were on just before him called Radionomy, uh, they were over somewhere. Oh, they were, they were in Belgium, and they, they didn't speak English very well. They called things different. Instead of you and I would say a radio station, right? They call it a, a radio so, so that would be in their verbiage. So their verbiage was very weird. Um, it didn't translate very well, and they weren't very good business operators. They ended up shutting down uh, several years ago, and the station went dark in, I believe, 2019. And it shut down pretty much. Radionomy was the last hope for anybody that wanted to stream, and... A lot of people, probably several thousand uh, webcasters, uh, basically hung up their headphones. Well, Dave, or, I, hate to, I hate to do this with great reluctance, but we got about a minute left. Oh, no. I know. We, we're already way over, but I'm so happy to have this time with you. Um, let's just let's cut to the good part. How can people find you? 
People can find us on the web on our website at dcrockradio.com. You can listen on the main page, on our homepage, dcrockradio.com. Or if you uh, have a smartphone, you just want to grab the app. It's called Outpost Radio Network. Outpost Radio Network. And I'm sorry I was born a rambling man. This half hour went by, just flew by. That's fine. That's great. I also Maybe you can have Twitter me back presence. one time, and we'll, we'll talk about the actual music. Maybe at okay. some point. And I apologize yes. that we didn't get to that because we were supposed to get to that. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, like I said, it's your music that actually got me really excited about your station and uh, prompted me to meet you. I mean, it's the only place I can really listen to, like, uh, that forgotten track from Billy Squire and the Tragically Hip. And, I, and, I can hear that. and to, to, to sum up, the Boston song and all those songs we were talking about – Basically, our credo is no burned-out hits. It's radio, it's radio that you and I grew up with, and that's how DC Rock started. It was a tribute to all those album rock stations that we used to listen to. So there you go. Dave Collins of DC Rock, thank you so much for coming on. Tune in next week where we may or may not have Adam Schiff. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.